Well, greetings, brethren. We're just doing a sound check. Just wanting confirmation that you can hear my voice, and in a little while you'll hear the piano. Wanting to greet our early birds, Becca, John, Donna, Richard, Christine, Hope Springs, JD, RJ, Lampels, Pastor Murray. Greetings all. Just looking for a confirmation of sound. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another Sabbath service coming here from Burlington, Ontario, Canada. And as always, you're always grateful for your participation, for joining us, no matter where you are. We know we're getting some people from all over the place, all over the world. So thank you so much for being so faithful and joining us. And most of you are probably aware, but we'll have to remind you that Passover is just not even three weeks away, 20 days away from today. So that's less than one day, less than three weeks. So I hope that we all start doing some preparation, not just on the physical aspect of it, but also this mainly the spiritual aspect of it. So as always, before we start our, our Sabbath service, we'll ask God for blessing of the service and specifically for all the techno- technological aspect of it. So this time, we'll ask Brother Landon to do the opening prayer. Dear God, thank you for gathering us all here together safely today, and thank you for allowing us to be a part of your Sabbath day and to be in your presence today. We thank you for bringing us through the difficult world this week and getting us to another one of your Sabbath days. We pray that uh, all the technology for today goes well, that you put your words into the speaker today, and uh We receive the message and allow it to apply into our lives. And we pray all these things through Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Brother Landon. Now let's join voices together and let's just sing together and glorify our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we'll sing together. Hymn on page 160. If you still still have the old hymn book, if you're not, the word will be projected on the screen. We'll sing all together, to God be the glory, 160.
What a great hymn it was. To God be the glory, always and forever. Thank you, Sister Jennifer, for this wonderful music. Now, this time, before we go to main message, we'll actually have a scripture reading. And scripture reading today will be taken from the from Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 10. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 to 10. It will be read to us by Brother Dill. Hello, everybody. Galatians 6, 7 to 10. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap, if we faint, if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Dylan. Now let's just go quickly through some of the announcements for the week. And as always, please remember... Uh, weekly Bible study, which takes place on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. As Pastor Agent continues studying the book of Isaiah. It's very interest, interesting study. So this Wednesday at 7.30. And let's just me quickly run over the holiday season, which I just said is less than three weeks away. So just quickly, I will just give you some dates. And, you know, the more uh, schedule we come over the time over the next few weeks. But just today, I'm just quickly run over some dates so we are not be surprised. The Passover will take place on March 26. So please mark in your calendar if you, I hope you already have so, but if you don't, please mark Passover on March 26 will be Friday evening at sunset, Friday evening at sunset on March 26. Then the following evening, the night to be marched observed on March 27, also on Saturday evening at sunset. Then the first day of 11 bread will be March 28, which is at Sunday. Sunday, March 28th, and the last day of Unleavened Bread will take place on April 3rd, April 3rd, which is on Saturday, which is on a Sabbath, which many times we call it a double Sabbath. So just quickly, remember these dates, March 26th, Passover, night to be, March 27th, first day, March 28th, and last day, April 3rd. And the last announcements, just... The next week, Sabbath service from Burlington will be at the same time coming at 10.30 right here to all of you again. So thank you again for joining us. That will take care of all the announcements. Now this time we'll have an intercessory prayer. So I'll join Pastor Mori as he's going to read the names and also intercedes for all the names on the list. Thank you, brother. Um, as we know, there are so many, uh, as we get closer to Passover, this is the time of year where where Satan is increasingly active in uh, at war with the saints. And uh, we know there are so many prayer requests out there. Uh, what I'd like to do here is just give a, a few updates and a few new ones. Um, and uh, also keep keep everybody in mind. Everybody has so many people on their prayer request list. We can't cover them all here. But uh, a couple of updates. Uh, Richard Campbell, the husband of Violet from the Kawartha Lakes Congregation, continues to recover from his uh, kidney surgery relative to uh, cancer that he had in his kidneys. So please keep uh, Richard in your prayers and his wife, Violet, as uh, she helps him recover. 
Uh, a note from, we mentioned last week, the cousin of Jenny Monks. Uh, Jenny's the wife of, of uh, uh, Deacon Gary Monks from the London, England congregation. And uh, her cousin, Purita Joaquin, uh, from Alberta, Canada, uh, you'll recall a, a uh, wife of and with a young family, with a husband and a young family, was diagnosed with uh, stage four uh, cancer. And uh, certainly a devastating, devastating uh, piece of news for such a young family. Uh, she wanted to thank everyone for uh, keeping her in, in your prayers. She was quite inspired by the prayers, uh, even with the gravity of the disease, and would request that we continue praying for her and her family as they work through this. A couple of new prayer requests uh, from the Kawartha Congregation again, Kawartha Lakes here in Ontario, Canada. Uh, from Brenna Deegan, her mom, June, who attends with her as well, uh, has uh, some inflammation of the lungs. It's quite serious, and she was in seeing the doctors and uh, has some tests, continuing tests and medications over the next few months, but we request prayers for, her, for June Deegan for her lung condition. And some uh, from the Toronto congregation, uh, Davina Bastian, wife of Patrick Bastian, longtime members in God's Church, was diagnosed uh, uh, very recently with lymphoma and begins some treatments uh, immediately. So please keep uh, Sister Davina in your prayers. As well, uh, prayer requests from Laurent and Patrice Bourgeau uh, going through uh, various uh, health uh, issues. Uh, Patrice fell recently uh, this week and has requested prayers, and Laurent continues to to, uh, battle some issues with uh, his elbow and his hips. So do please keep them in your prayers as well. And one final uh, uh, prayer request, some some really sad news here. Uh, Brenda Howard uh, is uh, lives in uh, Tennessee, and she's with the United Church of God. And she was on her way to services last Sabbath and didn't show up for services. And you may have heard this. You may have seen this on social media. Um, she didn't show up to services and was was missing much of the week. Unfortunately, uh, it was announced yesterday that her body was recovered uh, from her car, was in a river not far from her home. Uh, no determination of death, and, and that's not uh, important. Uh, please keep the, uh, her husband, Bob, their family, and the Tennessee congregation that she attends in your prayers with such a, a devastating, devastating piece of news. Um, uh, so please, please do keep her, her family and uh, friends in your prayers. We'll bow our heads now and, and go to God on behalf of these folks and the many, many folks that, that uh, are on your personal prayer requests. Holy God and Father, we and you, Jesus Christ, we give you all glory, praise, and honor as we come into your throne room together here, ask you to accept us into your presence on this most holy Sabbath day. And we come to you on behalf of our many brothers and sisters and, and, and acquaintances and family of brothers and sisters and uh, people who have, have complete and total faith in you and obedience to your word when it, it uh, admonishes us that the prayers of the righteous avail much. So we come to you as our creator, as our great healer, and come before you now. Uh, beseeching you and, and pleading with you on behalf of our brothers and sisters who are in, in physical pain, in anguish, dealing with grief, recovering from surgery, uh, dealing with the, the pre-Passover type of, of issues that, that beset your people. And we just ask you as the great creator and healer to intervene on behalf of these people 
we we thank you for the opportunity to do this to come before you we we know that you can do all things we also know that your will supersedes all so in addition to begging and pleading for complete healing we also ask you for courage to walk as to walk through this these issues as you would have us walk as your will de- uh, deems fit we ask you as we focus on the upcoming Passover season and especially in the light of the recent messages of coming together and, and valuing the body, that we help each other through these, these trials. Um, we ask you to help us to be there for each other, for those who are close to some of the folks that, that we've mentioned here. Um, help us to, to reach out and support and, and help them through and just hear our prayers, Holy Father and, you, Jesus Christ, as our mediator, King and Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do. We thank you that that we have the hope of the kingdom of God. We have the hope of the resurrection. But we are human beings, and, and life is precious, and we just ask for you to hear our prayers. And if it be your will, please heal and comfort and and, and return us, return all of these people to to 100%. We thank you for this. We thank you for the ability to come together before your, in your throne room before your great and magnificent thrones. And, and we give you all glory, praise, and honor. And in humility, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Murray. As you can see, the list is not going shorter and shorter. It's just getting longer and longer each week. So this is a very vital part of this worship services we do on this Sabbath just to keep all these people in our prayers. Now, as you heard last week, discerning the Lord's body, part one. Today we'll have a second part by Pastor Agent Davis, discerning the Lord's body. But before we go there, we'll have a hymn, which will be taken from page 60, Take My Life and Let It Be, and right after we'll go to the main message for today.
Amen. Well, welcome, brethren. A happy Sabbath. And as uh, Deacon Jan mentioned, uh, this will be a continuation of uh, where we left off last week, discerning the Lord's body, part one. I want to finish today with part two. But all of this is really a continuation of a series that uh, Pastor Murray began a few weeks back with Worthy is the Lamb. And then Deacon Jan followed that up with Worthy is the Lamb, part two. So let's continue uh, with Discerning the Lord's Body, Part 2. And uh, last week, I'm sure uh, all of us are aware that, uh, hopefully you are aware, of the recent news of the uh, banning of the Dr. Seuss books. So here you see an image of uh, Dr. Seuss uh, reading his children's books. And these books have now been deemed racist, or at least six of them, uh, by the Dr. Seuss Enterprises because of their, their racist content. It's, it's inappropriate. And that is, is fascinating. So now we, we, we the, these uh, liberal elites who uh, want to tell us what is good and what is bad uh, have now banned the reading of uh, Dr. Seuss's books. Uh, but fortunately, we still have uh, Drag Queen Story Hour. So we can still have our children read to by drag queens. And this is the highest level of morality and tolerance to ban Dr. Seuss. But let's continue with drag queen uh, story hour, as long as, of course, they're reading the right type of literature. We wouldn't want them to be reading Dr. Seuss. Much more appropriate to have things like me and my two dads. So I'm, I'm Oriental and I've got a father who's black and a father who's white. This is just so uh, such high, high morality that we are moving towards. And we have to be careful, brethren, with these uh, redefinitions of morality as the, the intellectual elites manipulate our sense of morality to get us to sign on to their sense of morality, which is no morality at all. Let's, uh, let's begin with Isaiah. Isaiah, Yesha Ayahu. Uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 2, and let's see what he says. In Isaiah 2, verse 22, he says, Cease you from man whose breath is in his nostrils. These, these powerful people who want to rule and dictate and govern, Isaiah says, forget them. Cease you from man whose breath is in his nostrils. For wherein is he to be accounted of? In other words, he's nothing. And, and this is all passing away. And, and we have to hold on to what is true and what is permanent and what is eternal. And all of this confusion is going to pass away. If we go back up to verse uh, 16 of chapter 1, Isaiah 1, 16, he says, wash you, make you clean, speaking to his covenant people. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. This is the covenant community. And these people whom God entrusted his Torah to uh, have turned his ba- their back on him. And God is now pleading with them to repent and, make them, and cease to do evil. So God's people can do evil. God's people can be consumed with evil. And God is appealing to his people, stop doing evil. Stop calling the evil good and the good evil. Don't get caught up with these people and their movements. In verse 17, he says, learn to do well. Learn how to do well. Seek judgment. Worthy is the Lamb. But what is he worthy to do? To bring Torah judgment to this earth. And and without him, 
then we have these hypocrites and imbeciles ruling over us with their evil, evil moral code. It's an evil moral code where they decide what is the unpardonable sin. And now the unpardonable sin is racism. Even if we have to go back a hundred years and find books and take them out of their context and ban them because this is the unpardonable sin. And yet we activate movements like BLM to put in power a man that clearly was supporting racist uh, sentiments. Very, very powerful racist sentiments of, of blacks being super predators who just want to rape white women. Why isn't he canceled if this is an unpardonable sin? He says, learn to do well. Seek judgment, the judgment of the Lamb. Not our own moral codes. The moral code of Torah. Seek that. Relieve the oppressed. He's speaking to his covenant people who are caught up with the ways of this world and oppressing their own brethren. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless and plead for the widow, not according to the social justice definitions of this world, but according to Torah. Learn to do Torah. This is what we must sign up for and not for men's definitions of morality, because it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. We are heading into epic disaster just by cause and effect. If God didn't do anything, just by cause and effect, we are heading into epic disaster with the abandoning of God's morality code. And on top of that, the lamb is coming to judge. He's releasing the seals and with it judgments, Torah judgments upon the earth and ultimately the great tribulation. The lamb is worthy to do this. And, and John says, thank God. John wept deeply and intensely when nobody was found worthy to open the scroll and bring Torah judgments to the earth, to rectify the earth and bring the earth back to God's righteousness, the standards of righteousness. But the lamb was worthy. And so we look forward to the judgment that he will bring and that we will join him in bringing this Torah standard of judgment. This is what we must do. Learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow, for the day of Yehovah of hosts, the Lord of hosts, shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty. And we spoke last week of pride being the root cause of the, all the problems of the covenant, all the abominations of the covenant community boil down to their pride, just as it was with Sodom and Gomorrah, and just as it is today with the first fruits of the harvest of God, the first fruits of Israel, that, that we have pride, and we are now preparing to observe these days of unleavened bread to tackle head-on this root cause of sin, coming to us from Satan himself, which is pride. The day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone, no exception. He's speaking to the covenant community. No exception. You're not, you're not accepted from this. Shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty, and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. So we have to be careful of this thing called pride. And, you know, for me as a black man, it's easy for me to be seduced by movements like Black Lives Matter and to bring that into the church. And then for our, our white ministers, perhaps it's easy for them to be seduced, if, if for Americans, for example, by the Republican Party and bring Republican politics 
into the church. And, and, and we're just bringing human division into the church. We've got to be above this. We've got to look at the world through the eyes of the scriptures. And, you know, did it matter? So, so, you know, Donald Trump and the, the Republican Party, are they synonymous? No, they're not. The Republican Party is just as wicked as the Democratic in that they have not stood up for the American people. And, and I'm telling you, brethren, when America collapses and it's well on its way, th- this is why I'm concerned. I'm not an American, but I can see what the collapse of America means to the world. And I hope hopefully we all see this and we're, we're getting ready for this. It's going to be epic. It's going to be epic. There, there is a way of life and, and a way of living that we've all grown used to since World War II. We have not really known any other way, but it's coming. As America wanes, China is waxing great. Their economy is switched on, and they're growing, and their military is growing. And Turkey, are you watching the Middle East? Are you seeing what's happening in the Middle East with Syria and, 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 and Iraq and how Turkey is expanding its borders? A hundred years, coming up to the hundred-year anniversary of, of the collapse of the Ottoman Empire. And Turkey is all about resurrecting the Ottoman Empire. And when America collapses, it's just way overextended with debt, and it's letting in more and more people, come on and get the free benefits, and let's just keep printing trillions and trillions of dollars of funny money. How long can this go on? And when the whole thing collapses, are we ready? Are we grounded in our faith? Or have we been caught up in a false sense of morality that's going to be tested? Isaiah says, the, the hypocrites in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. This is what unleavened bread is all about, brethren, that we, we stamp out the leaven. We, we, we root out the hypocrisy. And, and we are who we are before God. And worthy is the lamb. But this lamb that is coming to bring this intense justice to the earth, God's justice to the earth, He's worthy. And then Deacon Jans showed us how worthy with this slow reading of Revelation 4 and 5. But, but here's a puzzle, brethren. If you look at Isaiah 2 and verse 17, the prophet says, The loftiness of man shall be bowed down finally. This is why, why John was just so torn up and in such grief, because there's no end to the loftiness of man. And nobody could put an end to this. But then there was one found worthy. That was, was Torah, totally 100%, Torah compliant and pure. And therefore able to take the scroll and to release its seals and to release these Torah judgments upon the earth. And ultimately, the redemption of Judah and all Israel and ultimately all mankind that are willing. But he says here in verse 17 of chapter 2 that this loftiness of man shall be bowed down. And the haughtiness of man, this is the root cause of sin. The haughtiness of man shall be made low. And Jehovah alone shall be exalted in that day. We look forward to this. We anticipate this. We, we eagerly await his appearing. But here's the puzzle. 
He says, Yehovah alone will be exalted in that day. And yet, if you turn with me quickly to Revelation 20, Revelation 20, that only Yehovah will be exalted. And yet in Revelation 20 and verse 4, this is what John saw. John said, I saw thrones. Thrones are a form of exaltation. You sit on a throne, you are exalted above your subjects. And yet Isaiah tells us that only Yehovah will be exalted in that day. And yet here we see John saying, I saw thrones and they sat upon them. And judgment, the same judgment that the the lamb, the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah is coming to bring to this earth. These same judgments, John says, judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yeshua and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived, and they were exalted. They reigned with Christ, the Messiah, a thousand years. So how can it be that Yehovah alone will be exalted in that day, and yet John saw the saints exalted? How can that be? I hope that you'll accept my premise from last week that the church is not just the church, that members of the church are not just members of the church. Members of the church are members of the body of Yeshua, of Jesus Christ. So that when we say that Christ is exalted, The members of his body are exalted with him so that he alone is exalted in that day. That by honoring his body, we are honoring Christ. And by honoring Christ, we are honoring the Father. Conversely, by dishonoring, by not putting a preference toward those that are in the body, we dishonor the head of the body, Jesus Christ. And by dishonoring Christ, we dishonor the Father. So this matter of how we discern who is in the body and who is not, and how we treat and perceive those in the body, this, I think nothing could be more important. Nothing can be more important. When when we read, when we did the slow reading of the throne room in heaven, And we saw the unending honor that those beings in heaven had for the Father. And the equal honor that they had for the Son. Then this is the issue. This is is the thing that matters. How much do we honor the Father? How much do we honor the Son? And how much is that reflected in our relationships with each other. In fact, it's such an issue. If you look at Matthew 18, Matthew 18 and verse 6, I think we're very familiar with the Matthew 18 chapter. I won't exegete the chapter, but just break in in verse 6, where Christ says this, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. These are the members of his body. To anybody who would offend one of these little ones who believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck 
and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That is quite a fate, that you're out maybe boating, and somebody hangs a millstone. You're in the middle of the ocean, or the lake, or the sea. And somebody hangs a millstone around your neck. You wouldn't, you would res- you do all you could to resist, but maybe they have help to do this. And then they throw you overboard. And there's nothing you can do. Christ is saying that's a much better fate for you than having to deal with him when you have hurt a member of his body. So this is of utmost importance for us. So I want to continue today. I want to answer three questions. Who is in the body of Christ? And who is excluded? Once we discern who's in the body, how do we discern what part of the body they are? So discerning the Lord's body is not just a matter of who's in and who's out. It's what member are they? And then finally, once we understand all of this, what are we to do? So who's in, who's out? Let's go to Romans 8. Let's begin in Romans 8. Romans 8. And I have to tell you, my wife and I, we brought our kids up in the country. And, you know, we moved from the suburbs into the country. And immediately upon moving in, we found a basket of vegetables and bread and some gifts at our door. And our neighbor was very, neighbors were far away. It was a country space. And one of the neighbors walked over as a welcome basket. Her name was Priyani. And she dropped this off for us. And we got to know her. We were there for some 15 years. And we got to know her quite well, her and her husband. Uh, this woman was a Buddhist. And I, uh, my wife would agree. Uh, we both said it. One of the nicest people we have ever met. Just a genuinely good human being. One of the nicest people we've ever met. Is she a part of this body of Christ? Is it, is it a person's goodness, their high moral standards? But when we see people in the church fail morally, and we see people in the world with higher moral standards, we see people in the world with marriages that last a whole lifetime. They've raised their children well. They're, 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 they're contributors to their community. They have high moral standards. Does that mean they're a part of the body of Christ? Romans 8 and verse 9 He says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. There's our answer, brethren. That what determines whether or not one is a member of the body of Christ is the Holy Spirit. So says scripture. That it is impossible for somebody to be a member of the body of Christ without the Holy Spirit. Christ is the head of the church. His body is on earth. He's in heaven. His body's on earth. And what links his body together is the Holy Spirit. And he directs his body through the Holy Spirit. And the scripture says, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if, the, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. So there's a transformation as the spirit works in us. And it's, it's a pro, it's progress. It's a process over time. It doesn't happen immediately, quickly overnight. But as the spirit is in us, it's killing the old man. And it's enlivening the new man. And it's conforming our minds and our, our way of thinking 
to Christ. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, okay, if this spirit dwells in us, then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also bring to life your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. So this, this is science. That at the time of the return of the conquering line of Judah, all those in the graves and all those who are alive and remain that have the Holy Spirit or had the Holy Spirit in them, Christ is going to bring them or God is going to bring them to life through that same spirit. If they do not, good person, but they do not have the Holy Spirit of God, then it's impossible for them to rise with Christ and to meet him in the air. I hope you understand this, brethren. So then who, who, then now the question becomes, well, is it possible that my neighbor has the Holy Spirit or had the Holy Spirit? Or, or that, uh, people that we know that are good Christians, but they worship on Sunday and they don't keep any of the holy days and they worship a Trinity? Is it possible that they also have the Holy Spirit in them? So let's be careful as well. One can be an atheist. One can be immersed in false religion, and God can be calling that person, and the Holy Spirit can be with them and working on them, but yet it is not in them. But there's evidence that the Holy Spirit is working with them. I can certainly speak of my own uh, experience personally. Years before I knew anything about the Church of God, it was it's more than obvious how God was miraculously working with me from the age of 15, maybe even before, but I certainly from the age of 15, I, I could just know a marked difference in my life and could feel God's hand on me. Did I have the Holy Spirit at age 15? No. It would be years later before I received the Holy Spirit. Was the Holy Spirit working with me? Absolutely. So we don't condemn, we don't look down upon people to say it's impossible for God to have anything to do with them. No. The Holy Spirit, God God has a, a longitudinal approach and can be working with somebody for a long time. Look at the Apostle Paul. He was an enemy of the church, and yet the Holy Spirit was working with him. So who has the Holy Spirit? Acts 5 and verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hung on a tree. This is what you did, speaking to the Jewish community. Him has God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. A savior for who? For to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So there's a, a biblical narrative playing out here. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit. Now, who receives the Holy Spirit? Whom God has given to them that obey him. We have to repent before we can receive the Holy Spirit. That's why we have to be baptized before the laying on of hands. Baptism is a symbolic representation of our burial of the old man and our commitment to live as the new man. And it's that repentance that God recognizes and then gives us the Holy Spirit. If we're, if we're not repenting, if I insist on idolatry, or I insist on living a life of adultery, or I insist on uh, breaking God's, all of God's commandments, 
can I receive the Holy Spirit with no desire to change? If you just think of the structure of the holy days, we're going to be observing Passover. That's what starts the whole process, accepting Christ as personal Savior. Followed by unleavened bread, where then we're committed to rooting out the, 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 the leaven and repenting. And after that, Pentecost, picturing the receipt of the Holy Spirit. One follows the other. Then we have uh, trumpets and atonement. The return of Christ and the atonement of all Israel and Judah. Then we have the Feast of Tabernacles, the ingathering of the Gentile world. And then the last great day, after the, the second resurrection and the ultimate salvation of all of mankind, the rest of the whole number of Israel and the rest of the Gentile nations. Look at Jeremiah 31, 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, says Jehovah, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So let's stay in the biblical narrative. That the new covenant is not with everybody. It's not with the goyim. It's with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which covenant they broke, although I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, No, Yehovah, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, says Yehovah, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says Yehovah which gives the sun for a light by day and the ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night, which divides the sea when the waves thereof roar. Jehovah of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says Jehovah, then the seed of Israel shall cease from being a nation before me forever. So this is impossible. Israel will be a nation before God forever. And, and so God is doing something where we cannot just throw this narrative away. It's, it, it's a narrative, it's a forever narrative. This covenant narrative is a forever narrative. So however we're going to be interpreting these scriptures, we can never depart from this covenant narrative. Otherwise we're misunderstanding the scripture. In fact, in Exodus, Exodus 11, Exodus 11 and verse 6, Moses writes, Exodus 11 and verse 6, and there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. This is a one, this was a one-time thing. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that you may know how that Jehovah does put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Do you put a difference, brethren, between the Egyptians and Israel? Because Jehovah does. As far as you know, human beings are on the earth, and I'm sure there are just some very good Egyptians, very good neighbors, decent people. But in God's sight, he puts a difference. There's a, there's a separation between who's in the covenant and who isn't. Hopefully we understand this, brethren. And, of course, 
the door would be open for certain Egyptians who were repentant to be grafted in among the Israel covenant community. In a recent article, my mentor, Pastor Ramakan, mentored me as I was coming into the ministry. Uh, he wrote an article entitled, uh, I think it was entitled, Who Preaches the Gospel? And in his summary statement, he says this, There is no other body in the earth except this Sabbath-keeping, feast-keeping church of God that is given the gospel and the authority to preach it. Consequently, no one can hear the gospel preached and be saved except through the church of God. When we speak of the church of God, we do not speak simply of the church of God international, the United Church of God, and the many others that came out of the worldwide church of God. When we speak of the church of God, we refer to the many other people God has called on the earth, many groups like us whom we have never met, but who believe the same essentials of the faith we believe. They do not necessarily belong to any labeled or named corporate body. The failure to appreciate this truth has caused many to fall for the erroneous view that one can hear the gospel and be saved outside of the church of God. It's impossible. And I hope we see this, brethren. Now, I know there's going to be people saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, what about the thief on the cross? Let's go there. What about the thief on the cross? Luke 23, verse 43. He, he wasn't baptized. And yet, God promised him that he would be in paradise. Yeah, but what about the thief on the cross? Let's look at the thief on the cross. Luke 23 and verse 43. And Yeshua said unto him, Truly I say unto you, Today shall you be with me in paradise. Now, the reason we go to this passage and interpret it as the thief immediately going into paradise is because of the false churches. The churches that do not understand the biblical narrative, many of whom were involved in the translation of the Bible. And so as they are translating the Bible... Uh, from one language to another, they have to make decisions. And so we are then subject to their decisions in terms of how we, we interpret their interpretation. And so for many, after, after death, death is not death. Death is eternal life. So the, 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 the lie of the devil that you will not surely die. So when people die, they don't really die. They just keep on living. Just they're either living in heaven or they're living in hell. So, if that's my understanding, when I read this and Christ says, today you'll be with me in paradise, and Christ died, and then the thief died, well, obviously they're in heaven. So then we get influenced by that, and we don't believe that doctrine, but then we believe that this means he's going to be with him in the kingdom of God. And it's kind of a similar, it's certainly been influenced by that doctrine. Let's look at the Greek and, and just see, like, what does it really say? Because in the Greek, we have to make a decision. So the Greek is kai epen ato amensi lego semeron met emu esse ento paradeso. You have to make a decision. If I was translating this verse, and I'm going to now put it into English, because of the lack of punctuation, I have to make these decisions. 
So an argument can be made. It's not going to be my argument, but an argument can be made that placing the comma before today is incorrect. Because of certain people's doctrinal perspective, they may decide to put the comma after today. And so it would read, and Jesus said unto him, truly I say unto you today, so I'm saying to you the, to, this to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Or another way, we might say it another way, yeah, truly I say unto you right now, I'm telling you right now, you shall be with me in paradise. So an argument could be made that the translators made an error in their judgment to put the comma before today instead of after. That's not going to be my argument. If I were translating this Greek into English, I would put the comma exactly where the translators put it. But I would take issue with their interpretation of certain words. The first word being Samaron. Samaron. That, yes, it can be translated today. It could be translated before today is over. It could be translated as within a period of time that I'm not going to disclose to you. It could be translated as immediately. So Samaron could be translated in multiple ways. And, and so it is some kind of period of time. So within a period of time, the thief on the cross, Christ says to him, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, that's the first one. The second one is paradise. Paradise, uh, paradiso, it's not a Hebrew word. It's a word that comes to us from the Persians. And this is where Muhammad in the Islamic faith got this whole concept of paradise from the Persians. And this garden and all the fruits and the beautiful vegetation there, this came from Persian ideology. And it came into the language. So paradise does not mean heaven. Paradise means an enclosed garden. So Christ was not saying to him, certainly not, you'll be with me in heaven. Nor was he saying, you'll be with me in my kingdom. As we read of those uh, saints that were beheaded and sitting on thrones in the kingdom of God. He wasn't saying that to the thief either. How could it be that these saints have lived their whole life being faithful to God and when their, their faith is tested, they remain steadfast to the point of being beheaded and for that faithfulness they're rewarded to sit on thrones with Christ. And this man as a thief lives his whole life uh, ducking and diving and being dishonest and then in a deathbed confession, he says, oh, I realize I was wrong. And he sits on thrones exalted with the saints. Does that make any sense? Christ didn't say you'd be with me in, in kingdom. Now, let's go back to Luke 23, 43. But go back one verse, 42. Why, why I would not argue with the placement of the comma is because of verse 42. And he said unto Yeshua, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So it's about time. It's not, that, it's not that Christ is saying, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. And, and putting the comma after today. No, I would put the comma before today because it's about timing. The, 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 the thief is saying, sometime long into the future, when you come into your kingdom, please remember me. And Christ is saying for you, it's not going to be that long at all. You're going to go to sleep now, and in your next waking moment, you'll see me again, and you'll be in paradise. So he says, when you come into your kingdom, 
And Christ says, he doesn't, Christ doesn't say this, truly I say unto you, today you'll be with me in my kingdom. No. The, 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 the thief is asking about the kingdom and Christ responds with paradise. We have to stay within the biblical narrative. In John 3 and verse 3, John 3 and verse 3, another very familiar passage with Nicodemus, the exchange with Nicodemus, Jesus answered and said unto Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say unto you, truly, truly, there's no exception to this, like truly, truly, I'm telling you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The thief on the cross was not born anew. So he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a man is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So the thief on the cross is asking about the kingdom and Christ doesn't respond about the kingdom. He just says, you'll be with me in paradise. Meaning, you're going to go to sleep now, and you're going to be asleep for at least 3,000 years. And when you wake up after the millennium, at the end of the millennium, you will wake up in a world filled with the abundance of peace. And you specifically, because you're a Jew, you will wake up in the promised land. And it will be a garden of paradise. And you will see me there. Nothing to do with heaven. And nothing to do with him being born into the kingdom of God. Let's stay within the biblical narrative. And let's go to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. And verse 10. Ezekiel says, So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them. This is the valley of dry bones. So Ezekiel says, I prophesied as he commanded me to do. And the breath of life came into them and they lived. This Jew that died on the cross beside Christ is coming up in this resurrection. He's a member of this resurrection party. And they lived and stood upon their feet. An exceeding great army. It was unbelievable to Ezekiel. Then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, not just Judah or the southern tribes, but all the tribes. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, thus says Adonai Yehovah, behold, O my people, I will open your graves. So this thief is going into the grave and God says through Ezekiel, I will open your grave. And cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. But this, brethren, is the second resurrection. So Christ died. It's been 2,000 years since Christ has died. When Christ comes, it's imminent. It's, it's imminent. I can't say when, but it's imminent. And then he's going to reign, and we will reign with him if we are found faithful for a 1,000 years. And there will be many in, in Judah and Israel that will live over into the millennium. And for a thousand years. But those that died prior to Christ's millennial rule, they will have to wait until the end of the millennium and come up in the second resurrection. As we're seeing here, and the thief on the cross 
will come up in this resurrection and they will come up into paradise. And then you shall know that I am Yehovah when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you. Now the thief on the cross will receive the spirit. He'll be in paradise. All of these Israelites will be in paradise. But now while they're in paradise, they will receive the spirit and you shall live. And I shall place you in your own land. Exactly. That's the covenant promise. You will be placed in this promised land. And then shall you know that I, the Lord, Yehovah, have spoken it and performed it, says, says Yehovah. And that's the key to our God. Not only does he's the only, everybody has their gods. And everybody wants to say how great their gods are. Great, yeah, whatever. This God that we worship, he is the only one that has the ability to speak the future, to speak it in detail, and then to perform it. And this promise that he has made to the covenant community, it never goes away. And here he is performing it. And, and these people who are translating the Bible and they have no regard for the covenant narrative, they immediately misunderstand. And then we get caught up with them. So we have to decide when we're going to quote the thief on the cross. You know, my wife says, you know, are we a Christian or a thiefian? Are we going to follow the thief or follow Christ? Christ was baptized. Christ received the Holy Spirit. Christ died and was resurrected and is in the first resurrection, firstborn from the dead. And we are followers of Christ. This thief, yes, he will be resurrected. Yes, he will be resurrected to paradise. But he's not part of the first fruits. He needs to be taught. How, what use is he? Of what, you, of what value is he if, he if he has not been discipled? We need to disciple first. Teach people the ways of God so that they in turn can teach others. It's not just, yeah, come, come into eternal life and float on a cloud and do nothing. So that's one. Oh, yeah, but the thief on the cross. So hopefully I've dealt with that. If I haven't, please let us know if there's any outstanding questions. The other is, and hold your place here in Ezekiel 37 while we go to John 10. Because the other thing people will say is, yeah, but God has other flock that, that are not of this flock. So what does that mean? John 10 and verse 15. As the Father knows me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So here the argument is, yeah, you know, yes, we're the church of God, but there are other Christian communities. And yes, they keep Sunday, and, and yes, they worship Trinity, and yes, they eat pork and shellfish and all these things that are not part of the covenant community. But there, there are of another fold that God says, there are other, they, these, these are the other sheep that I have, which are not of this fold. And I'm going to bring them along as well. Is that how we interpret this? And again, do we abandon the biblical covenant narrative? Let's answer what this verse, what, what is Christ saying here? As the worthy lamb who was 100% Torah compliant. And even in the face of head-on challenges from Satan the devil, he never deviated from Torah. So what is it that Christ is saying here to the Jews when he says, Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Well, we're in Ezekiel, we're in Ezekiel 37. Let's just keep reading. 
to say, what is it that Christ was quoting? Ezekiel 37 and verse 15, the word of Jehovah came again unto me, saying, Moreover, you son of man, take you one stick, and write upon this one stick for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Huh. So we have a stick for Judah, so we write Judah on the stick, but on that stick, we also write for the children of Israel, his companions. Then, Ezekiel, take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. So so there's one stick for Judah, but that stick includes Israel. But then there's another stick for Ephraim, which, it, which represents all Israel. Ephraim is the code name for, all, for the northern tribes, because it was the most powerful tribe of the north. And join them one to another into one stick. This is coming after the Valley of Dry Bones vision, where they heard his voice and they came to life. And now Ezekiel's being told, get two sticks, write Judah and Israel on one, and write Ephraim on the other. And join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in your hand. And when the children of your people shall speak unto you, saying, Will you not show us what you mean by these? Say unto them, Thus says Adonai Yehovah, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim. So Ephraim is the uh, symbolic tribe for all Israel, the northern tribes. And the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in my hand. So Christ is there speaking to the Jews, speaking to Judah, saying, you are my sheep and I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. But other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, they're going to hear my voice and they're going to be one. Well, here it is, that not only will Judah come up in this resurrection, but all the tribes of Israel will come up in the resurrection. And the stick which represents Israel will be joined with the stick which represents Judah, and they shall be one stick in the hand of Jehovah. So these are the other sheep that he has that are not of this Jewish fold, but they are still his sheep, and he is still laying down his life for them. And according to the covenant narrative, they will now be one stick. And the sticks whereon you write shall be in your hand before their eyes. And say unto them, Thus says Adonai Jehovah, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, this is what Moses wrote. The, the, the biblical narrative never goes away. And if we're going to preach the gospel precisely and accurately in a way that's going to comfort God's people, then we never depart from the biblical narrative. Thus says Adonai Yehovah, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, where they have been scattered, where they be gone, and I will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land, so the angels will come and gather them from the four corners of the earth. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will save them, Yeshua, God saves. Yesha Ayahu, God saves. 
but I will save them out of all of their dwelling places. And that's what he said. I, I've come to save Israel. Wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people and I will be their God. And the heathen, the heathen shall know that I, Yehovah, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forever. And that's really interesting that the heathen, when God does all of this, the heathen will know. Meaning the heathen have no idea. In fact, if you look at this now, what's going on right now, Pope, uh, so this, let me just look at this one. So we know he's, he's uh, abandoning the faith. But here, Pope Francis and Grand Ayatollah Sistani call for unity at Iraq meeting. So they're in Iraq right now. And the Catholic and Shia leaders are strengthening dialogue between their faiths on the first ever papal visit to the country. So, so this is quite fascinating that they see Abraham as their father and they're in Iraq, which is Babylon, and the Christians there are being destroyed. And here we have the head of the Catholics and the head of the Shiites uh, in this interfaith dialogue as to how they can uh, come together. And they came together on a Sabbath, <laughs> on Sabbath, to promote peace and unity. And they have no idea that the covenant is not with them. The covenant is with his people. And God never turns his back on his covenant. And he's going to make the heathen know. First, he's going to make Israel know that he is true to his word. And then all the heathen are going to know that he is true to his word. So we need to be careful, brethren, of false teachings. In in Matthew 7 and verse 13, he tells us to enter in at the straight gate because it's easy to go the broad way. We, we need to stay very, very clear and very focused and, and, and stick to the covenant and the covenant narrative. And then in verse 15, he says to beware of false prophets because they're going to come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. We've got to understand this. They're beautiful rhetoric. That's what Christ is saying. They're beautiful rhetoric notwithstanding. Don't get caught up in rhetoric. It's either Torah compliant or it's not. And he says you shall know them by their fruits. So we have to be focused on bringing forth good fruit. And he says in verse 21, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. We have to do the will. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit so that we can do the will of God. It's not just, oh, yeah, I accept God on my deathbed and I'm going to be in heaven. No, he calls us, he gives us the spirit for a purpose so that we can do his will. And we can declare this gospel in the face of intense opposition. The world will still know the truth of the gospel of the kingdom of God. So hopefully we're clear that just because you're a good, somebody's a good person, that does not make them a part of the body of Christ. And that God himself makes a discernment between who is in the covenant and who isn't. And hopefully we're clear. We also need to make this discernment as to who is in the body and who isn't. But once we're clear about who is in the body, discerning the Lord's body doesn't stop there. Discerning the Lord's body means we must now discern what part of the body are they. So, we see here, and, and this can be difficult. In fact, Philippians 2, we, we talked about this last week. Philippians 2 and verse 3, he says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. 
in lowliness of mind. This is the antidote to all of the world's problems, that we would be humble in our minds. And this is the only way we can properly discern the Lord's body. Because God gathers and calls whom he wills. And then he places in the body where he wills. And often what this means is we are now rubbing shoulders with people who come from completely different walks of life, completely different backgrounds, which creates ample opportunity for misunderstanding and friction. And and sometimes the things that we value in our upbringing, other people have had no exposure to. And so we can just rub each other the wrong way. The only way we're going to get through this is what we see right here in Philippians 2 and verse 3, is that as we interact with, with each other, once we've discerned that we're in the body, that we esteem the other better than ourselves. And the human condition is the opposite. We want to see how we're better than others. But the Holy Spirit will lead us to see how others are actually better than us. And how do we do that? It's because we understand that they have what we don't have. In fact, in verse 4, he says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 12 in a moment, which is the chapter on the gifts of the Spirit. And we are I think we are all guilty, as we read this chapter, of reading the gifts of the Spirit, that as we read it, we're asking ourselves the question, Which gifts do I have? What's my gift? But Paul did not go into the exhortation of the gifts of the Spirit so that that the Corinthians would ask themselves, oh, which gift do I have? He went into that exhortation so that the Corinthians, Corinthians would ask themselves, what gift does my brother have? The same brother that I was despising. The same brother that I was withholding food from. The same brother that I couldn't care less about. John has now, or Paul has now given me this exhortation so that I can look at that brother anew. And I can actually see in what way is that brother my superior. In what way must I esteem him better than myself? So to what he says here to the Philippians, Don't look on your own. Don't read 1 Corinthians 12 looking on your own things. How am I gifted? Read 1 Corinthians 12 looking on the things of your brother so that you can esteem your brother better than yourself. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 22, he says, they're they're eating, they have no regard for, for each other. And he says, is it that you despise the church of God? And so this is, this is what 1 Corinthians is addressing. The fact that they despise the church of God and they're not discerning the Lord's body and therefore they're suffering. So he he transitions from this unfavorable state of not discerning the Lord's body to now teach them how to discern the Lord's body, how to discern which member of the body and how you should esteem others better than yourself. So in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 4, he says, Now, there are diversities of gifts. It's not all the same. We're not all yellow pencils. We're not all trying to be exactly the same person. That the differences that you have, God celebrates. 
The difference is that I have, God celebrates. And then he gifts us according to these differences so that we can bring to the body what others are unable to bring to the body, but also that we will need from the body what we're unable to give to ourselves. And this is how the unity of the spirit works. So he says there's, there's diversities of gifts, and this is the, the age of diversity. If only we could get these people who are, who are hung up and drunk on diversity to see this. There are diversities of gifts, but it's the same spirit. It's fascinating. It's one spirit, and yet the gifts are so different. And there are differences of administrations. This is what Pastor Ramakan was saying. I don't think there's a single elder anywhere in the Church of God, CGI, Church of God International, that's going to say, we are the one, one and only true Church of God. I've never heard that in CGI. Heard it in some other churches, but not in CGI. We are an administration. And there are differences of administrations. But as long as the Holy Spirit is there, they are part of this first fruits harvest. And some of these people we've never met. But they are Torah compliant and they are spirit filled and they are our brethren. There are differences of administration, but it's the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations. But it's the same God which works all in all. But as Pastor Ramakan was making so clear, don't get into people or getting into saying that people who are constantly breaking the laws of God, who have no understanding of Torah, that they're part of the body of Christ. No. They may be. There's a lot of time to repent. And there's a lot of people that are so close and so earnest. I spoke last week of uh, Pastor James Coates. If only we all had this level of conviction. He's so close. And there are many, there are, I'm here seeing um, stories of whole congregations realizing they've got to keep Sabbath, that Sunday is a pagan worship day. And so as the world becomes more and more unstable, and if we can all collectively raise the voice of the gospel, many are going to turn to the truth. And he says, but it's the same God that works all in all, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. So we all are given this to profit others. And what we have to do here is look not on our own things, but look at our brethren and help them understand how they are gifted. For to one is given the spirit by the word of wisdom to another. For to one is given by the spirit the word of wisdom to another the word of knowledge. Notice this to another, to another. Not everybody has the same thing. By the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another the gifts of healing. By the same spirit. And when we read 1 Corinthians 11, the implication is they have brethren with the gift of healing in their midst, but they're despising them. They're not regarding them at all. And therefore, many sleep among them. That had they acknowledged that these brethren actually, even though they're lowly, they might be poor, uh, they might be disregarded by society, but God has put the gift of healing in them. And had they discerned that, there are many in their congregations that wouldn't have died. To another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, diverse kinds of tongues, to another, interpretations of tongues. But all these work that one and self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So depending on our natural abilities and our background and experiences, God decides how he will utilize the spirit's expression within us. And the key now for us is to discern. To discern. And there's a difference, brethren, between gifts and fruit. 
So everybody's going to have the same fruit of the Spirit, which are itemized for us in Galatians 5. So the fruits of the Spirit we should all share in, but the diversity in the gifts is different. So we need to observe our brethren, and especially if there are brethren that you're, maybe there's a bit of friction between you and that brother, to be able to stand back and say, okay, what is it that Christ has done here? How is the spirit of Christ being manifested in this brother or this sister? And in what way is this brother or sister my superior? That's what we should be looking at. In fact, let's just quickly look at Galatians 5. Galatians 5. We'll come back to 1 Corinthians 12 in a moment. Galatians 5, he says, verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are obvious, which are these. So if we see these things, this, this is the works of the flesh. Beautiful rhetoric notwithstanding. You know, we saw all this in the summer, this whole outpouring of moral outrage over what happened to George Floyd. Where is that moral outrage now? Now that the election is over. Now that they got their man in power, where is that moral outrage now? Or were we just being used? And this is why we are all about Torah. That the judgment, the justice that we want to see is Torah justice. Justice according to Torah. And so you cannot be this, having this high moral compass and you're involved in adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, witchcraft, hatred, Variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. You're going to talk beautiful rhetoric, and you're, you're morally outraged, and you're involved in all of this stuff? No, we're not following you. We're following Christ, and we're following Torah. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things, no exceptions, they which do such things, beautiful rhetoric notwithstanding, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we're not interested in this. But the fruit of the Spirit, and this is all of us must have this and strive for this, and this is the fruit that the Spirit expresses, which is different from the gifts or gift that the Spirit expresses. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And listen, listen, brethren. And listen. They that are Christ's, they that are members of his body, have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. So we are looking for this in the body of Christ, that all of these works of the flesh are being put down and the fruits of the spirit are being expressed. And then we begin to then discern the gifts of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit. So verse 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. In, in fact, just 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 19, he says, for there must be also heretics among you. Wheat and tares grow together. So we're going to be able to, you know, by their fruits, you shall know them. That's what Christ taught us. So there are going to be wheat and tares together. There are going to be false teachers. But Christ says, look, you'll know by the fruit that if the Spirit is operating, it, it cannot help but bear fruit. 
And so we're looking for this. We don't want to see the works of the flesh year after year after year. And there's no change. It's getting worse. And then you're still calling yourself a Christian. This cannot be. You're observing unleavened bread and, and claiming that you're putting out the leaven annually, observing this festival. And yet we're still seeing intense envyings and, 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 and idolatry and adultery and all these works of the flesh. So he says there must be heretics among us. Wheat and tares must grow together that they which are approved may be made obvious among you. You should be discerning. Sometimes it takes time for fruit to bear. And certainly it takes time for gifts to be expressed. And so we're going to be patient, but over time, we should have a discerning eye. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12, he says, For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. So just look at your own body. Many members of your body doing many, many different things, but they're all part of your body. This is the way Christ is as well. For by one spirit are we all, notice, baptized into one body. We're baptized into this one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, or ha- and have been all made to drink into that one spirit, because the body is not one member, but many. And then he goes on to say, if you're a foot or a hand or an eye or a nose, are you going to say you have no need of the other members? And so this is where we need to say, to see that discerning the Lord's body goes beyond who's in and who's out. It goes further to say, I'm going to pay attention to my brethren. And I'm going to try to understand, are they the eyes? Do they see things that others do not see with this gift of discernment? You know, are they the ears that they have the ability to hear the Lord in a way that others don't? Do they have this uh, ability to, to speak and they're the mouth? Are they the feet that really carry the church, carry the church forward? And, and then there's the uncomely parts that maybe these are not seen. We sort of hide these away, and yet they're so essential. Am I, am I dealing maybe with a brother or a sister that I, I, I don't have high regard? They're so different from me. And yet God has put them in the body as the essential part. That there's something that they have. Maybe they have this deep gift of faith. And while you or I are despising them, they're on their knees every night praying deeply to God on our behalf. And they're so essential to the body. So we have to be careful, brethren, in this spirit of pride that Satan uses in this spiritual battle that we, we, we studied in Ephesians, this spiritual battle that we're all engaged in, that we have to put on the whole armor of God in order to be successful against this. And, and we, we ain't seen nothing yet. What's coming is going to be epic. And we need to be grounded and ready. This is a spiritual battle. The things are going to happen in the physical and in the economy, that are going to have deep spiritual implications. And we need to be ready, and we're going to need each other. And so we need to be discerning who is the body, and what part of the body, and why are they better than I am? Why do I need them? How do I esteem them better than myself? This is what we must understand. In fact, in verse 18 here, he says, But now has God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it has pleased him. So he's the one that's deciding where to place each of us 
in the body. And this is what we have to come to understand. Ephesians 4 shows us, and we've been through that passage many times, that Christ ascended up to heaven to give gifts to men. And these gifts are are the different types of ministry in order to edify the body so that the body can, in fact, do the work of God. And then to prevent us from being um, uh, just uh, blown about by every wind of doctrine. Because we have to be established. And then once we're established, we can be edifying each other. So there's these different roles that the different members of the body have. And we have to be conscious of this, aware of this, because our enemy certainly is. And he's using the craft and witchcraft of of rhetoric to fool us, to deceive us, and to turn us against each other. And and you know, when the economy crashes, this is when you see the worst of human nature. I, I think you see the worst of human nature. You know, if somebody dies and they leave a big inheritance, then you see the ugly side of a family. Or not always, but sometimes. You see what money does, both in terms of an inheritance. And you saw the, the passage where uh, the brother, the two brothers are fighting. And he says, give me my inheritance. Uh, and he goes to the Lord and says, you know, tell him to give. And God says, be careful of covetousness and focus on the kingdom. So that's one case. The other is when the economy crashes. And there's nothing. And the fat bank accounts and the silver and gold and the, the constant paycheck that everybody got used to and just flip on the lights and electricity is there. When all of that goes away, who are we then? And what part of our nature will be revealed? And we need to be in a community and building these bonds with each other and this trust with each other that when, when these things happen, we can get through it together because you're certainly not going to get through it alone. And Christ is not Christ's intention that we should function clearly from Ephesians uh, 4 and from 1 Corinthians 12. We're not meant to function alone. So in Ephesians 4, verse 16, he says that from Christ, the whole body fitly joined together. So there's all these different members that he's putting together, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. And we have to be supplying fruit, but we also have to be supplying the gift. And we have to be edifying each other so that the other can supply the fruit and the gifts. Fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. And this is also, brethren, how we withstand the onslaught of the spiritual forces that Paul was speaking of earlier in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And now in Ephesians 4, he shows us that the body has a way of working so that this supernatural power of God works within the body to enable us to withstand the dark forces of Satan and his host. The effectual working in the measure of every part makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This is what we need, brethren, more than ever. So what to do? First, let's be clear about who's in the body and who isn't. Then let's strive to understand what part of the body is each member playing a role in. And and what are they supplying that I need and how do I esteem them better than myself? As opposed to telling people, look, I'm gifted and this is my gift and you need to pay attention to me. That That's that's unchristian. 
It's in fact the opposite. You're gifted. I'm going to encourage you, brother, sister. You know, you really have faith. You really, you, you were so encouraging. You, you, you have a way of teaching or whatever it is that we see we are encouraging so that that person can understand, oh, maybe I'm gifted in this area. And they can pursue that and we can edify each other in love. This is how we're going to get through the dark days ahead. So what can we do? Number one, be in a congregation, brethren. Commit yourself to a community. There is no such thing in the scriptures as the independent follower of God who needs nobody, and it's just me and God. The whole point of the body is to edify itself in love. So be in the body in 1 Peter 4 and verse 7. So find a way to be to commit to a community. And yeah, there's going to be trouble, but we're going to work it out and grow closer as a result. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 7, he says, But the end of all things is at hand. And it's certainly where we're heading there, brethren. Can our, can our governments just keep printing trillions and trillions of dollars, funny money, and just print more funny money to pay the debt of the old money? I mean, how long does this go on before the whole thing comes crashing down? And then we see the dark side of human nature everywhere. And then we, we don't have the military to defend ourselves against those powers that are growing in military might. What do we believe then? Well, we need to be in a congregation, in a community where we know we can trust each other, we understand each other, we've grown together over decades, certainly years. He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be you therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Watch unto prayer. And above all things, this is the most important priority of what we must do in the end time. Have fervent agape. Fervent, tennis, intense, intense agape among yourselves. For agape shall cover the multitude of sins. This is what the Lord is looking for. And you can't have this if you're not in a community. If you're just, oh, I just study my Bible. It's just me and God. I, I study my Bible and I pray because I'm, I'm just like that. It, you know, that's how I roll. I'm just a very righteous person. That's not what God is looking for. He's looking for the edification of the body in love, in fervent love. And that's what he's looking for in the end time. Use hospita- hospitality one to another without grudging. So he's understanding that, hey, this person has abused me, did something wrong. I really don't want to uh, invite. No, use hospi- hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. That's what it's about, the edification of the body as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I I, I encourage you, brethren, to read Romans 12, where he also talks about the the use of the gifts and how to support one another uh, with the gifts. And and he he kicks off in verse 5 saying, So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing, According to the grace that's given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the And he goes on to say the different, whatever these gifts are, use them, but recognize you don't have them all. Whatever you have, use it, but recognize that others have what you need. And this is how we're going to grow together. And he goes on to give us further instructions, very, very practical instructions. So let's do that. Second, so be part of this growing 
Christian community, that we're in this community and we're all growing together and we can see each other's growth and support each other's growth. Second, we need to support each other with prayer, with prayer and words of encouragement. In Colossians 4 and verse 2, think of how powerful a, a servant of God the Apostle Paul was. And here he says to the Colossian brethren in 4 and verse 2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So watch unto prayer with thanksgiving. And then he says this, with all praying also for us. So, so here the Apostle Paul and his team had a work, but he turns to the congregation and says, and, and pray for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, which he unfolded in Ephesians, for which I am also in bonds. So cancel culture, political correctness, it's not new. Opposition to the word of God, it's not new. Paul faced it. And then he's saying to the congregation, pray for us, that God will open a door of utterance unto us, that we can speak the mystery of Christ for which he's in jail. I think of this pastor, uh, James Coates. Uh, This is just a, a harbinger of what might lie in our future. And now Paul is being interrupted from his preaching because he's in prison, and he's saying to the brethren, I need you to pray, so a door, not not that I can escape prison, but that a door of utterance can open to me, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Third thing we need to do, brethren, let's get our house in order. Get your house in order. People are living in an illusion. This is like, especially in the West, sorry, I know we have people living, uh, tuning in from all over the world, but especially in the Western economies, we've had it so good for so long that we can't believe for a minute that all of this could be taken away. And as we, as we go headlong into socialism, socialism does not create value. It just takes it away from others and distributes it until there's none left. As uh, I think it was Margaret Thatcher who said, the problem with socialism is eventually you run out of other people's money. If we could just let people in the Western economies be free to honor the creative individuality and let them with an entrepreneurial spirit create value, then this, there could be a way out of this indebtedness. But as it stands now, we're doing everything we can to crush the entrepreneurial spirit. While we continue to go deeper and deeper into debt, eventually there's a day of reckoning. And, and from what I can see, it's just around the corner. So we better prepare, brethren. Here in Romans 13, Romans 13 and verse 7, he says, Render therefore to all their dues. Pay your debts, brethren. If you owe somebody, you pay it. Render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. And certainly the body of Christ deserves honor as members of Christ and Christ deserving honor as the son of of, of the father. And then in verse 8, he says, Owe no man anything. Get out of debt the way you'd run from fire. Especially in this crazy, uh, pretentious, unstable fantasy island that we're on in terms of the Western economies. It's madness. You don't want to be in debt in such a fragile economy. Owe no man anything but to love one another. Just focus on that. We, owe, we can't get rid of that. We owe each other this love. 
But don't, don't be in debt, especially now. For he that loves another has fulfilled the law. So let's get our houses in order so that we can have to help others through what's coming. And that's the final point I have, brethren, is support the brethren and the work financially. At least be prepared to do that. In 3 John 5, 3 John 5, he says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatsoever you do to the brethren and to strangers. So John was just really uh, amazed. And, and, and he was encouraged by what he saw in how they were supporting each other. You do faithfully. This is, this is a good thing you're doing whatsoever you do to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of your agape before the church, whom if you bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, you shall do well. That means these people are coming through, they're preaching the gospel, they're encouraging the brethren, and they need to go to another city. And these brethren are banding together to make sure that their expenses are looked after and that they can continue with this work. That's what it means to bring them forward on their journey. Because that for his name's sake, they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. So they were able to do this work without depending on the Gentiles in any way, because of the brethren supporting them. We, therefore, ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. And that, brethren, you know, we don't ask for money, we don't sell anything. But certainly if it's on your heart to support our ministry, especially with the Holy Days coming up, uh, if you go to cgicanada.org, cgicanada.org and under contact us there's a donate button there and so if you're willing to support us we would certainly receive that and and put put it to work and preach this gospel and we thank you brethren for your prayers as well but let's let's understand that we are part of this body and we're not the only part maybe there's another part of the body that you see that's doing an effective work and you want to support them but this this is how this work is done that there's an economy that supports the work and we just thank you for any support that you can give us. I want to conclude, brethren, and it's very dangerous, I realize. I might get cut off for this, but let's just see what we can do while we can do it. I want to conclude by quoting Dr. Seuss. Oh, the places you'll go. I'll just cut in here. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. Wherever you go, you will top all the rest. Except when you don't, because sometimes you won't. You'll get mixed up, of course, as you already know. You'll get mixed up with many strange birds as you go. So be sure when you step, step with care and great tact. And remember that life's a great balancing act. Just never forget to be dexterous, dexterous and deft and never mix up your right foot with your left. And you will succeed. Yes, you will indeed. 98 and three quarter percent guaranteed. Kid, you will move mountains. So, be your name Buxbaum or Bixby or Bray or Mordecai Ali Van Allen O'Shea. You're off to great places. Today is your day. Your mountain is waiting. So get on your way. Indeed, brethren, our mountain, 
the mountain that's going to be in Zion, that all of the nations all over the world are going to flow to. It's waiting. And sometimes along the way, yeah, we might get mixed up. But the Spirit is there, and our brethren are there to pray us through this. And we can be 98 and three-quarter percent guaranteed. There's still, it's not once saved, always saved. But through the support of each other, we can get through this and get through the dark days ahead. So another Passover, brethren, is coming up when we're going to pause and reflect on the death of the Lamb and the return of the conquering lion. And as we go from Passover to Passover, we learn to honor Christ, but let's also learn to discern his body, that this lamb is worthy. Think of the praise that was bestowed upon him, but worthy to do what? To bring the judgment of the Torah to this earth and the salvation within the the covenant to his people and ultimately to the whole world, those who are willing to be repentant. So let's, brethren, as we get ready for the Passover and we focus on the days of unleavened bread to get the pride, the leaven out, let's be very clear that we have to discern the Lord's body. And a big part of that means understanding not just who's in the body, but once we understand who's in the body, why we must esteem them better than ourselves. What is it that Christ has given to them that that, that enables them to be uniquely suited to contribute to the body in ways that we can't, so that we can esteem them better, and and in lowliness of mind, esteem them better than ourselves. Let's conclude, brethren, just really, uh, we are honored. We are honored to have this ministry. It's just amazing to me how this pandemic has, has opened doors for us to reach many of you that we would not normally be able to reach, and we're building relationships with you, and we love it, and we're grateful for it. So let's let's move into this holy day season, uh, realizing that from one year to the next, we don't know what to expect. But one thing we know is the word of God is true, and we must stick to it. So Galatians 6, we'll conclude here, Galatians 6 and verse 7. Be not deceived. There are crafty men out there, crafty rhetoric. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows... That shall he also reap. It's cause and effect. We can't get away from this. This is a spiritual battle we're engaged in, and there's tremendous opportunity for us to be valiant for the Lord and not to fall victim to Satan. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. This is the way it is. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. It's cause and effect. This is what we look forward to, and this is why we can look for his appearing with joy. His appearing is going to be terrifying for many, but we can look forward to it with joy. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in good, in due season... We shall reap if we faint not. And we, as we have, therefore, opportunity. As we have opportunity. Things change so rapidly. We have opportunity now. We may not have it in the future. As we have, therefore, opportunity. Listen, let us do good unto all. All. 
We're, we're going to try to do good for all. We're even going to pray for our enemies. We try to do good for all. But especially, there's a discernment here. It's not the same. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. God bless you, brethren. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Adrian. And what a great message. What an appropriate message. What a timely message. As we're coming, you know, especially so close before the Passover and the, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And I know that is so much easier for all of us when you come before the Passover to examine ourselves in relationship to the Lamb, to the Lord. But as we examine what the Lamb of God has done for us, let's also discern the body of Christ, the all of us, our combined relationship I will have with each other. So thank you so much, Pastor Regent, for this hard work, and it was very beneficial to all of us, these two parts. And brethren, I'll do a closing prayer, and after closing prayer, we'll have a closing hymn. So just bow your heads in respect. Just loving Father, as you sit there on your throne and are watching us, as we're getting closer and closer to this holy time, as you observe, as you study us, and as your son, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, as he is evaluating us, his body, as he's looking how we behave. We are grateful, Father, for this message that we hear today. And I just hope and I pray that we're not just going to listen, but we actually take the practical point that were given to us today and we actually put them in practice. And I know that we live in this world there is so much confused. And to some degrees, our brethren even have hard time to discern who is in the body, who is not. We have a hard time to analyze who's God, Christ, Holy Spirit, and who doesn't. And with all of this, come we come to different conclusions. We come to different narrative. And it's so much easier than to deceive us. But, Father, if you just recognize this, who is in the body, it's so much easier, Father, to move along and appreciate and recognize and understand that as we come together, we not just have God's Holy Spirit, but we also have different gifts and different talent. And all these gifts, they come from Christ. It is his body. He is the head, and he awards us all different gifts. As then we can see through this thing, through different gifts, hopefully, Father, we're going to grow in much appreciation and understandings of each other. That hopefully through this humble spirit, we'll be able to esteem others than ourselves. And with the working of the Holy Spirit in the end, will be much so much easier to come to the conclusions what to do. And Father, we get some practical points today. We know how easy it is to even love your members of your family when you're, you're not separated by distance. So the same thing is for us. It's very difficult to have a relationship, for, to have a loving relationship if you are not a congregation. If you have a chance, if you are close by, 
look for a congregation that can you be part of. And I know that so many of us are blessed, like here in Burlington. We have a little congregation, but it's a very close congregation, and we are very grateful for it. And help us, Father, to support each other in prayers, in fasting, but also, Father, help us to be active and support the work, your work, preaching the gospel as much as we can. And to do all these things, we need a financial support. And Father, all this calamity that is coming upon this world, as Jesus Christ is the Lamb who is worthy, as he's going to release judgment on this world, Father, help us to get our private homes in order and in balance. Get ready, whatever is coming. And especially, Father, financially. So, Father, thank you so much for this Sabbath. Thank you so much for this message that we hear. All the participants and all our viewers and hearers who hear us today or might hear it in the future, Father. Please bless us all. Protect us all. As we come closer, Father, prepare us. As you hear in the intercessory prayers, Devil will be very active in the next few weeks coming before this great holidays. Very active. And we need to be ready for it, Father. Thank you so much, Father, for everything. All the food that we receive today, spiritual food. And again, Father, not just help us, not just to listen, not just to make notes, but help us to go out and to practice it. Father, we praise you, holy name. Jesus Christ, we honor your name, and we thank you for all of this. Father, in Jesus Christ's name, amen.